0: Turn back over to the book of Philippians. For those of you that haven't been here, uh, I've been teaching on Paul's secrets to happiness, and actually it could apply to Paul's secrets to life, Paul's secrets to victory, all kinds of things. But I've been taking the book of Philippians, and I've got 20 things I've taken from the book of Philippians that were Paul's attitudes, commands that he was giving the Philippians. And if we would adopt Paul's way of thinking, then we would get Paul's results. I really made a point of that this morning. And there's very few people that think the way that Paul does. And therefore, very few people are able to sing and praise God at midnight with your feet and hands in the stocks beaten up. And very few people are able to withstand the pressures and the things that come against them. And it's because we don't think the same way. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So I would suggest that we take Paul's way of thinking and uh, adopt his way of doing things. So as I said, there's 20 things that I've been talking about out of this. We've already covered 15 of them. We got up to Philippians chapter four. And let me just go back. The 15th thing that we talked about is in verse four, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You just have to make a commitment that you are going to praise God regardless of what happens. And when you start doing that, in a sense, it's like you prime the pump. And when you just start praising God, even if you don't feel like it, the Bible says in Galatians five twenty two that love, joy, and peace are a fruit of the spirit. And when you start doing it, even if you have to do it through gritted teeth, even if you don't feel the joy of the Lord... You start doing it by faith and it primes a pump. And all of a sudden this love and joy and peace that's on the inside of you begins to come out and it begins to start being a heartfelt thing. But sometimes you have to start in the natural to wind up in the supernatural. And it's amazing how many people just say, but I don't feel it. And so they just let feelings rule and dominate them. You need to rejoice in the Lord always. Number 16, in uh, these four chapters is in verse six. He says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And you know what I'm saying here is that Paul prayed about everything. Paul was in communion with God and he didn't take care about things. He threw all of his care over on the Lord. This is what it says over in 1 Peter chapter 5, I forget the exact verse, but it says, uh, casting all of your care upon him because he cares for you. You know, this goes back to some of the points that I've already made that it's really about personal relationship. If we were in relationship with the Lord and whenever something negative happens in your life, instead of you taking care for it, instead of you trying to deal with it, you have your best friend. God, who's always with you, and you always go to him, and you always cast your care on him. You talk to him about what's bothering you. And if you would do that, instead of burying these things on your own and feeling like, I can handle this, and I should be able to deal with this. You know, it actually is a, it's a positive thing when you become weaker in yourself and more and more dependent upon the Lord. The Christian life is not a process of you growing stronger and stronger and stronger. Actually, it's you growing weaker and weaker and weaker and more and more and more dependent upon God. That's what makes a mature Christian is that you just cast everything upon the Lord. You have to cast your care upon him because he cares for you. But the Lord isn't gonna automatically do things for you. He is a gentleman and he will let you Bear around your own burdens and your own problems and stuff as long as you want to do it. But if you will come to him and cast your care upon him and ask him for help, God, what do I do about this? God will speak to you. God will help you. So, you know, the 16th thing that Paul did, he just constantly was in prayer and in supplication and in the thanksgiving, he let his request be made known unto God. He was not careful about anything. You know, I have people all the time that say something, you know, like, well, take care. And every time they say that, I say for nothing. (laughs) This says you should be careful for nothing. You shouldn't be taking care. You shouldn't be worried about all of these things. There are people that are worried because they don't have anything going wrong in their life at the moment. And they just know that there should be something I'm burdened about. We've been taught that kind of thing, but this says that you should be careful for nothing, but that's talking about in contrast to that in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. You know, if you will go to God and just commune with him and prayer is much more than just asking, but that's a part of it. And if you would take your request to the Lord and make things known to God and then believe, that you aren't just talking into the air, that God is actually hearing you and that God answers your prayer, then there is zero reason for you to be disturbed about anything. You know, I was talking to a person tonight who's had problems with depression and suicide for many, many years. And I told him, I said, there's nothing wrong with your emotions. There's nothing wrong. I don't believe that anybody who's fighting depression and all of these kind of things, there's nothing wrong with your emotions. Your emotions are just fine. Your emotions follow what you think. And if you are suicidal and depressed and discouraged, there's nothing wrong with your emotions. There's something wrong with your thinking. It's the way you're focused on things. It's the way that you feel abandoned and that you are insufficient to be able to cope with these things. And the answer to it isn't to get somebody to cast depression out of you or something like that. The way to do it is to start thinking differently. And part of that is to take all of your cares to the Lord, knowing that he cares for you and cast your care over on the Lord. If you're worrying about something, I can tell you that you have taken care unto yourself that God never intended you to take. If you stay up at night, if you have a hard time going to sleep because you're worried about things and you're trying to figure it out, you ought to go to the Lord and cast your care about it on the Lord. I saw a little cartoon one time that had a person laying in bed and they were just sitting there and their eyes were huge and they were bloodshot and you could tell that they were unable to sleep and they were just sitting in bed with these big bloodshot eyes and a voice out of heaven came and says, my son, go to sleep. I'm going to be up all night anyway. (laughs) And you know, this is basically what you need to do is just say, Father, you know what? This is your problem. You said you'd supply all of my need according to your riches, according to your riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And to the best of my ability, I'm trusting you and listening to you. And so, you know what? This is your problem. I'm going to go to sleep. You figure it out. Hey, Amen. That's a great way to live. You know, actually our ministry right now, I don't know exactly where, uh, what our daily income is, but I know it's, it's, uh, it's a lot. We need over $100,000 every single day that the sun comes up. And if you divide that by 24 uh, you know, hours in a day, I don't know how much money that is, but it's a lot of money every single hour of every single day that we have to have. And you know what? I never worry about it. I used to worry about it when our income was small. You know why? Because I could do something about it. I actually thought that maybe, you know, if if worse comes to worse, I could quit the ministry and I could go pay off all of my bills. Now, there's no way I could ever pay off all of my bills. We have to have $3 million a month or more, really, to be able to do all this building that we're doing. There's no way that I can do it. And you know what? I sleep better. I have less care about it because it is just beyond me. If God doesn't come through, I'm dead in the water. And so it's just easy. You know, I remember back when Jamie and I were living in, uh, on Imperial in Woodland Park, And we were struggling financially and it looked like we were going to go under. My board was actually telling me that we were financially broke and that we were going to have to close the ministry down. And I'm a vivid dreamer. I dream in color and I mean, it's just, it's nearly reality with me. I dream what they call a lucid dreamer. And anyway, I had this dream that it got so bad, I just decided I was going to quit and go join the air force. And I had this dream. And man, I woke up, I think it was on a Saturday morning. I was laying in bed saying, oh, thank you, Jesus. That was just a dream. And I was trying to calm myself down because I woke up being so distressed over having to go join the Air Force to pay off our debts. And I was laying in bed trying to calm myself and Jamie leaned over and she said, it wasn't so bad that you had to go join the Air Force man, it scared me. My heart started racing like, oh no, it's real. I really did it. And I'd been talking in my sleep. She heard me and she was just goading me. (laughs) But you know, back when when it was manageable, when it was something that I could have done, I took care for it. But it's really a blessing when you just get so far out on a limb that you know what, if God doesn't come through, there's nothing you can do about it. It's actually easier for me now to trust God With finances than it was back when it was a small income and I could do something about it. You know what? You need to get to that place to where you just get so far out there obeying God that you say, God, it's your problem. I am not taking responsibility for this. It's beyond myself. And that's what this is talking about. Don't be careful for anything. Don't take care about your health, about your finances, about your relationships. I'm not saying that you don't respond to God, but you make it God's problem and you just let go of the thing and give it to God. And then God will speak to you. And there's things that you have to do. You have to cooperate, but it ought to be in response to God. You shouldn't have to have the responsibility of trying to fix everything. If you're a fix it type of guy, if you're a perfectionist, it just feels like you've got to control everything. You are going to be... Uh, person that has a hard time trusting God and turning things over to God. But this says that Paul was saying that you, he's never careful for anything. He just by prayer and supplication made his request known unto God. And then the next verse is the results of casting all of your care over on the Lord. In verse seven, it says, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus you need to be in prayer and really trusting God and letting God run your life instead of you running your life. And if you would do that, then you'll reach a place where there'll just be peace in your life. The peace of God will keep your heart and mind. You can go, you can go at this verse backwards and look at it this way. Is the peace of God ruling in your life? If it isn't, then you haven't been in prayer and supplication. You haven't been casting all of your care on the Lord. You are responsible for everything. You're the one that feels like you've got to make something happen. And I just tell you, you make a very poor Holy Spirit. You would be much better off to just cast this over on the Lord and let God take care of things. You know, I tell women all the time, it seems like women are more concerned about their husbands coming to know the Lord than husbands are about their wives coming to know the Lord. I don't know if that's true, but it, it's what it seems like. And I have a lot of women come to me and they're talking about their husband and they're just doing everything that they can and they pray and they're doing all of this and they're just frustrated to the max. And nearly every time I'll tell them, I said, you know, the first thing you need to do is quit praying for your husband. And people look at me at first like, that's terrible. That's terrible. Man, I've got to do something. I've got to pray. And we've been taught that we've got through prayer just to make God do something. You know, one of the best things you can do is just turn them over to the Lord and quit trying to be the Holy Spirit. You know, men have an ego problem. Part of it, God made men to feel like a protector and a defender and they want to take leadership. So there is a God given thing here. But I tell you, women, if you're sitting there just chipping away at your husband all of the time, nagging at him and leaving uh, tracks around the house and the Bible open to a certain thing and a certain tape playing and you're doing all of this stuff trying to get to him, The average man is gonna resist that because they just hate being nagged and badgered into something. They will naturally resist it. And you know, one of the best things you could do is just turn them over to God and say, God, you love this man more than I do. And I don't have to constantly badger you about doing something. I just trust that you love him and that you're going to reach him and you let God deal with them instead of you dealing with them. Again, this is counterintuitive, but see, you need to cast your care over on the Lord and then you'd have peace about it. If you are just worried and anxious about all of these things, it's because you haven't cast your care on the Lord, because you don't have peace. You are still having these things in your hot little hands and God can't get to it. You know, our youngest son, Peter, when he was just three years old, he, he was not saying hardly anything at three years old. That's the way I was. I, three and a half, I hadn't started talking yet. My parents took me to the doctor to get me checked out. And he checked me over and he says, why should he talk? He's got four people that all he has to do is point and grunt and you give him anything he wants. <laughs> and they said, quit waiting on him hand and foot and he'll go to talking. And I'm old enough to remember. I went home and wanted a glass of milk and they set it on top of the refrigerator and said, talk, say milk. And my first memory is falling on the floor and crying, realizing that the gig was up. <laughs> I was going to have to start talking. I remember that. <laughs> so anyway, my son, Peter, he was nearly three years old and he hadn't really started talking much yet. And so we were trying to make him talk and we were coming out of this bathroom in uh, Royal Gorge in Colorado and he tried to open the door himself and he was a really strong, um, What do you call those return things on it? And it was hard to open and he couldn't pull the door open. So he put his foot up on the door and got to pulling, which of course was counterproductive. It was never going to open. And he was, he had both hands around that doorknob, just grunting and pulling with all he's worth. And then he looked up at me and I knew what he wanted. He wanted me to open the door. But I said, you're going to have to talk. And he wouldn't talk. And he just kept his hands around this and waiting on me to do it. And, you know, if I would have reached down and tried to open that door, uh, it was hard to open. I would have had to pull hard and he had both of his hands around it. And I couldn't have opened that door without squeezing his hands and hurting him. And so I just had to wait until he took his hands off and finally gave up. And when he gave up, then I opened the door. And as soon as I did that, the Lord spoke to me and he says, that's the way I feel about you. As long as you've got everything just like this, I can't get to it. You need to open up your hands and just give it over to the Lord and turn it over to the Lord and, and make it his problem. You ought to have peace in your life. You know, one of the scriptures that God's really used in my life is, uh, Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23 And it says, Oh Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walks to direct his own paths. That is a powerful passage of scripture. And if you take it in context, that chapter is Jeremiah talking about how that the uh, Assyrians are going to come in and totally destroy the nation of Israel and take them captives and the terrible things that would happen and Jeremiah, in the midst of it, starts saying, God, how could this happen to the people that were once the apple of your eye? The nation that was more favored than any other nation on the face of the earth. How could this happen? And he answers his own question by saying, oh Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walks to direct his own steps. You know why that happened to the nation of Israel? Because they started doing things on their own. They quit being God-dependent. And this is what led to their destruction. And I'm telling you, this is what leads to our destruction. Most people use God as a relief valve, as an escape. When you have done everything that you can possibly do, and it's absolutely physically impossible, then you run to the Lord. To verify that, when is it that you pray the most? When you're in big time trouble and it seems like you've exhausted yourself, then is when you really get to seeking God. That's the reason you have so many problems. You just need to get to where you never take care for anything. You turn everything over to the Lord and you just let God be the one to do it. You don't take responsibility for stuff. That's not to say that you aren't going to have a part to play, but you do it in response to what God is leading you to do. You turn the situation over to God and say, God, it's your problem. What do you want me to do? And you just wait until God gives you direction. You know, when we built the building that we're, that we're in right now, it was a major obstacle for us. We had to have $3.2 million. I committed to doing it debt-free. And even though I knew that eventually I was gonna have to advertise this and tell our partners, because God told me my partners were the bank, we wouldn't take out a loan, but we would do it debt-free. Instead of just sending out a letter and doing things on my own, I knew I only had one chance to do this and make a first impression with this. And so I just waited. I waited for about four months and the building was just sitting there, nothing happening. But I waited until I felt like God gave me direction, what to say and what to do. I knew eventually I was going to have to communicate something, but I waited until God gave me direction. And you know what? When I spoke then within 14 months, $3.2 million extra came in, which was double what we were bringing in at that time. It was a great miracle. Right now we're in a process where I've communicated some things about the building, but you know what? I haven't done a lot about it. There still needs to be some major communication and I need to present the whole thing now that we are actually in the process. And I've been just sitting on it for a couple of months now. Instead of me just doing it on my own, I'm, I'm just waiting on God to show me exactly what to say and how to do it. And you know what? God's taking care of us. Things are working out. But eventually I'm going to have to make a major deal on television. Our television people don't know very much about what we're doing. It's only our partners that have heard about it. And so there's things that I have to do. But I'm, I'm in a situation where it's not my responsibility to raise this $50 million. It's God's. I believe I'm doing what he told me to do. And I'm just waiting. And God will show me. He'll speak to me and he'll give me things to do. And because of it, I sleep good at night and I don't worry about this stuff. It's not my care. I wish I could make y'all believe that. I know that many of you are listening to what I'm saying and yet you're going to go home and still have your problems right tight in your own little hands and God can't get to it. You need to be careful for nothing. When you do that, then you need to let the peace of God just rule in your heart. You know, uh, where is this? It's um, Colossians 3.15. It says, let the peace of God rule in your heart to which you've also been called. And that word rule there means umpire. It's the same word that we get umpire from. And you know, in like baseball, they throw a ball and the umpire may not know exactly whether that's a ball or strike, but they just can't look at it and say, I'm not sure, let's do it over. You know what? An umpire just has to make a decision and right or wrong, you call it and then you stick with it. That's what the word umpire is talking about. You need to be decisive. Peace needs to be the thing that calls the shots and rules in your life. If you don't have peace about it, don't do it. Let peace rule an umpire. Don't ever get out of peace. I've learned this the hard way. Most people do, but I remember when I was pastoring in, in uh, Pritchett, Colorado, most of my elders in that church were custom combiners that were gone six months out of the year. And so when I first came there, they were there and everything was going fine. And then it came time for the weed harvest and they were going to be gone for six months. And so they came to me and they said, we need to make another elder, somebody who doesn't travel, somebody that'll be here to help you run the church. And they suggested this one man in the church. And this guy in the church, he was an older guy. He was the only person that liked me when I first came. I got really criticized by most of the people. And this guy had been to Ramah. And so he was more faith oriented. And he liked me. And we, we had eaten with him and his wife. And there was no reason to dislike this guy. Everything about him looked good. But when they suggested him as an elder, I just said, no, I don't feel good about it. I don't want to make him an elder. And they said, why not? And you know, this is one of the problems that most men have. They are more logical, they aren't intuitive, they don't go by their feelings and intuition. We have to have a reason for everything. And they pressed me, why don't you like and I didn't have a reason not to like it. I just said, I just don't feel good about it. I don't have peace. And so they hounded me for a few days or a week and they kept saying, But you can't just be against this guy if you don't have any reason to feel that way. And so anyway, under pressure, I said, okay. And we had made him an elder and anointed him to be an elder. They left on wheat harvest and this guy turned into the devil personified. (laughs) He tried to take the church away, tried to run me out of the church, told people I'd been stealing money, that I committed adultery, that I'd done dope, that I'd been drunk. He lied about, he just said anything. I mean, he turned into the devil himself. And as soon as that happened, I said, I knew I wasn't supposed to do that. I didn't have peace about it. But I went with logic instead of what I felt in my heart. And you know, when that happened, I mean, it caused no small problem. And man, I wound up leaving that church over that and some other things. And when it happened, I just made a decision. I said, I'll never do that again. I'm never going to do something just because it looks like the right thing to do. If I don't have peace about it, I just don't do it. And sometimes there's not a reason why I don't have peace. You know, we have a friend, Rick Renner, who he has a really good testimony about this. And Rick Renner was in Chicago holding a meeting and Rick was one of the speakers at a conference. And he had already spoken a couple of times and it was a night service and, um, He wasn't speaking that night, but he was going to church to be a part of the conference. And he just didn't feel like going to church that night. And it got so strong that he finally mentioned it to his wife and told Denise, says, I just don't think I'm supposed to go to church tonight. And she got on his case like, you're one of the speakers. You ought to be there. It's terrible to just go when you speak only. You ought to be there and support the whole thing. So anyway, because of logic and pressure of his wife, he went ahead and went And, uh, as they, they had somebody pick them up and take them to the church. And when they got to the church, he felt so strongly that he shouldn't be at church that he asked the driver to take him back to his hotel. And when he got back to the hotel and walked in, somebody had broken into it. They had trashed the whole thing. They had stolen a lot of things. And primarily they stole his laptop that he had two new books he was writing on there and he didn't have it backed up. And he lost all of that. And he said, I knew I wasn't supposed to do this. And as important as that is, here's one of the main points that he brought out. He says, what would have happened if he would have followed the peace or the lack of peace in his life? And if he would have stayed there and if he hadn't gone to church, what would have happened? Nothing. Probably whoever tried to break into his room would have recognized somebody was in there and they wouldn't have broken in. They wouldn't have stopped. Nothing would have happened. And from his perspective, it would have liked that there was no reason to do this. You know, you can't always just because something traumatic happens, say, I knew I wasn't supposed to do it. You could follow the peace of God in your heart and maybe nothing happens. And you don't know what you avoided by following the peace of the Lord. And right after this, they were already scheduled to go. Where was it? To Burma, Sri Lanka. They had a vacation scheduled for Sri Lanka. And again, this peace left him and he just didn't feel good about going to Sri Lanka. And because of that experience, they canceled their reservations and didn't go. And that's the very week that the tsunamis hit and everybody in that place was killed. And they avoided this because he let the peace of God rule in his heart. And you can't, you can't live this life where you're just free of care until you, first of all, through relationship with God, through prayer and fellowship, you just don't become careful for anything. You throw everything over on the Lord. You make every decision subject to what is God's will. What does God want? You don't lean under your own understanding, but in all of your ways you acknowledge Him and you just let God direct your paths. And if God leads you in a way that all of a sudden you're in a crunch financially or whatever, well, it's God's fault. He's the one that led you here. So you go to sleep and figure, tell him, he's got to figure it out. I'm doing what you told me to do. And you just throw your care over on the Lord and you let peace rule in your heart. Man, that's awesome. There shouldn't be a single person stressed out. There shouldn't be a single person that's depressed and discouraged. If you are, it's because you have taken care of something. You are focused on the negative things instead of casting your care over on the Lord. So these are some of the secrets of Paul, why he was able to just praise God, because you know what? He saw a vision. God told him to come over into Macedonia. He knew he was in Philippi at the direct command of God. And even though it led to a scourging and a beating and he was in prison and facing possible execution, he was doing exactly what God had told him to do. And therefore the outcome was up to God. Or here's another example. You could look at Peter. And you know what? Peter was put in prison and they intended the next day to kill him. They had already killed James, the Lord's brother, one of the leaders of the church. And so Herod was out to kill Peter and they put him in prison and he was asleep between two soldiers. How many of you, if they had just killed James the guy that was right ahead of you in the leadership of the church, you're second in command. Now you've become first in command. They've arrested you and they had planned on killing you the next day. How many of you would be asleep? Most of us would be up praying, doing something. Peter was asleep and the angel had to hit him in the side. He wasn't sleeping light. He had to hit him in the side, smite him to wake him up. Not very many Christians live this way, but we should not be careful for anything. We need to cast our cares over on the Lord and just trust Him and let the peace of God rule in our heart. If it takes you out of peace, quit doing it. Man, let the peace of God rule in your heart. If you have a check in your spirit, don't do it. I heard a guy one time he got up right in the middle of a church service and he says, I've got to check in my spirit about that. And the pastor says, just make it out to our church and send it in. <laughs> but I'm talking about if you have a lack of peace in your spirit, amen. Don't do things that you don't feel peace with. Man, that is really, really simple. In the next verse is the next thing in, cha- in chapter four, verse eight. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Again, I go back to a statement I made that if you are depressed and discouraged, worrying, there's nothing wrong with your emotions. You don't need a pill, you need the gospel. You need to put your mind on the Lord. Your emotions follow what you think and you are thinking wrong. You aren't trusting in the Lord. You have taken these things upon yourself. And so the antidote to it is to change the focus of your thoughts. And Paul, just go through this list. Whatsoever things are true, how much do you watch and listen to that is not true? A bunch. A bunch. I've already talked about that in a previous time, but so much of our news is, it's not news. It's a, its a perversion. It's a twisting of the truth. It's changing things. You know, during this political session, it just amazed me how one would say this and the other one would say the exact opposite. Somebody has to be lying. And sometimes it's not a total lie. It's just a twisting of the truth. They look at a certain segment of it and... If you look at it from their twisted viewpoint, then it's true. Or if you look at it from this twisted viewpoint. But you know what? You aren't hearing the truth. You're hearing facts manipulated and things like this. It says that we should be focused on things that are true. That right there, if we just followed this one instruction, many of us would have to totally change the things that you look at and read, listen to. It says whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, Whatsoever things are just, man, this is not characteristic of our society today. Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be virtue and if there be praise, those are the things that you think on. If you were to follow this and only think on the good, the honest, the pure, the just, all of these things, I guarantee you, it would change your emotions. You'd be able to rejoice. You'd be able to praise God regardless of what's going on. But most of us have been taught and conditioned to focus on all of the evil, all of the negative in the world. If you are going to have the success that the apostle Paul had, you need to follow this instruction and only think on things that are honest and pure, lovely, just good report, virtue and praise. Focus on those things which means most of us would have to totally refocus. Most of us would have to totally change the books that you read, the magazines that you read, the songs that you sing, the movies that you watch, the TV programs that you watch. There needs to be a total change. And I know people don't like me talking about this because it messes with your lifestyle. But I'm just telling you that that's one of the reasons you garbage in, garbage out. You meditate on junk, you're gonna be depressed and discouraged. I saw a bumper sticker that said, if you aren't discouraged or disturbed, you aren't paying attention. (laughs) And you know what? That's true in the natural. If you're just looking at things in the natural, but when you factor God into it, He he talked about all of the end times things. And he says, when you see wars and rumors of wars and you see people betraying their parents and earthquakes and divers places and famines and all of these things, he says, then rejoice. Lift up your head because your redemption draws nigh. If you looked at things through God's standpoint, we can see the end times coming right in front of us. And instead of being depressed and discouraged, we could rejoice. Amen. So we've got to change our focus is that 18th thing. The 19th thing is right here in verse nine. And it says, those things which he have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. You know what I wrote down about this is that you gotta do something. You gotta be a doer of the word. Paul is saying that you've heard these things, you've seen these things, you've learned all of these things, but now you've got to do it. Faith without works is dead. And I've given you a lot of information over these last five services. We've talked about things that honestly, if people would follow all of these things and implement them in your life, I can guarantee you your life would be totally turned around. There's a lot of people that just don't know what direction to go. God, what do I do? I've given you enough stuff during these meetings that if you were to do it, I can guarantee you'd change your life. But the sad fact is very few people do it. There's a lot of people that will take all this information and it might influence you a tiny bit. Maybe you'll quit watching one of the ungodly things that you watch. <laughs> but you'll continue with the others and, you, and then it'll just be a short period of time before you're back the way you are. You got to do this before it works. You know, one of the things that amazes me and I'm not scolding anybody. I'm just trying to be transparent with you. I'm just, I'm trying to help you. I really am. You may not perceive it that way. I'm not got an ax to grind. I'm not here to hurt anybody. I'm trying to help you. But there are people who come to every one of these meetings. You're desperate for healing. You're desperate to get delivered of some depression, discouragement. You need God to move in your life. You come and you want me to minister to you. And I'm glad to do it and pray for you. But you know what? You go to a church that is deader than a hammer. They're preaching unbelief. They will preach everything contrary to what I say. Many of you go to churches that don't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. And yet you want to come to somebody who believes in that to get your prayer because it's only people that have the baptism and operate in the gifts that can see miracles happen. You want to come and bootleg the gospel and get something off of me. And then you're going to go right back and put your money into something that is dead and that's not preaching the word. You aren't a doer of the word. You're a hearer. If you were acting on the word of God, I guarantee you, these churches would not want you there. You'd be kicked out of a church if you got to be a doer of the word. If you started doing all of these things that we were talking about, I guarantee you, they wouldn't want you. And yet many of you can go and fit in and nobody even know that you listen to Andrew Womack on the radio or television (laughs) because you don't do it. Amen. Amen. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching so good. Many of you think, but you know, this is the church that I grew up in. Well, what would happen if you got saved in a bar? Does that mean that you're supposed to stay there because that's where you found the Lord in a bar? Just because you grew up there doesn't mean that you have to stay there. You need to be a doer of the word. And I guarantee you, if you would start acting on the word, you'd find out that they wouldn't want you. There's a reason that entire denominations reject the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues and miracles and things like that. They don't want to believe it. And you start acting in it. You don't have to be obnoxious with it. Just start walking in the joy of the Lord. Start talking freely about the Lord. Quit trying to hide things and just be open and honest. and They'll, they'll ask you to leave. I've been kicked out of a bunch of churches. (laughs) There's just a lot of people that don't do the word. They want you to come do it. They want to see me act on the word. They want to receive from God, but they aren't going to commit themselves to doing the word. You aren't going to speak boldly at your workplace. You're intimidated. You don't want anybody to know. Who you are, you, you wouldn't voice your opinion over a political thing or over a social thing because you, it's politically incorrect and you might be criticized. There's a lot of reasons why people do what they do, but the average person isn't doing the Word of God. If you are going to get the results that the Apostle Paul had, if you want to see that, you're going to have to get to where you do it. The Bible says in James chapter 2 that faith without works is dead. Your faith cannot live and survive if you aren't acting in agreement with what you say you believe. You kill your faith if you don't act on it. I have people all the time that come and they get prayer for healing and then they act sick. You need to act well as much as you can. I mean, you need to do something, but I feel bad. So you lay in bed and act sick. Get up and act well. Get up and do something. It says by works, faith is made perfect in James chapter two. Your actions perfect your faith. Now don't misunderstand this. Your actions don't make faith come. But if you have faith, it won't be complete are perfect until you act on it. Faith without works is dead. This is why some people that don't believe, they just are hoping that something will happen, they see somebody testify about how they got up and acted in faith and threw their insulin away and just believed God, and so they do it and they die, and people say, Well, see what happens when you act on the work? They thought that acting would make faith come. That's not true. If you don't have faith and you quit doing the things that you have to do in the natural to deal with things, you'll die. But if you do have faith, you eventually are gonna have to act in agreement with that faith or your faith will die. And you've got to be able to be able to discern between those two. But eventually you have to act in faith. You know, I had some people ask me, says... Do I quit taking my medicine? I can't tell you whether you quit taking your medicine. It depends on what you believe. If you believe you're well, if it's saving faith, if it's real faith, then eventually you're going to have to act on it. Some people uh, wean themselves off of it, some people go cold turkey. That's what the Holy Spirit's given to you for, is to show you what to do. I can't tell you what to do. But I can tell you this I don't take the medicine that you take. You know why? Because I don't believe I'm sick. If you're taking it, it's because you believe you're sick. Ultimately, you're going to have to believe that you're well and start acting like you're well. I ain't not got anything against doctors. Dr. Bird right down here is on my board, a leading surgeon in Shreveport. I'm not against doctors. Man, he's helping people. If it wasn't for doctors, all the Christians would be dead because they hadn't been <laughs> trusting God. I'm not against doctors. But man, we ought to leave the doctors for the sick. People that don't know God. You know, I'm not against veterinarians, but I wouldn't take my dog to a vet. You know why? Don't have a dog. (laughs) If you got a dog, maybe you need to take it to a vet. If you believe you're sick, maybe you need to go to the doctor. But I believe by the stripes of Jesus, I'm well and praise God, I'm standing on it eventually you got to start acting on the word of God. You can't just say that you're trusting something and you can't just intellectually believe it. You're going to have to believe it to the point it causes you to act. You need to get up and go to resisting something. Your body in a sense is like a weapon that you can use against the devil. It really is. I remember a time when Jamie and I were really poor and I was working and trying to get some money. And I mean, we were near close to starvation. We needed this money. And I was painting a house and I got sick during the day. I came home at lunch for, uh, lunch and man, I felt so bad. I just laid down and I told Jamie, I don't think I can go back. And that was the day we were going to finish the job and I was going to get paid. And Jamie says, no, you are. Well, she prayed over me. <laughs> And she says, you will get up and go back to work. And I said, I don't think so. And I just laid down on the couch and boy, Jamie put my arm around her neck and she got to dragging me through the house, praising God, you are gonna act like you're well. And eventually I got with it and in about 30 minutes or an hour, I was okay. But you know what? I started using my body and acting well and moving and doing what I didn't feel like doing. And I started putting action to my faith because faith without works is dead. If you say you believe something, then you ought to act on it. And there's just a lot of people that don't act on it. You go to places that are ministering death to you. I mean, there are some churches so dead that if a person was to die and you called 911, they'd have to carry out half the congregation before they could find the dead person. I mean, it's a dead church and yet you go there and wonder why you aren't strong in faith and why nothing is happening. And then you put your money into this dead church that licensed homosexual ministers, that, takes, that waffles on social issues, doesn't take a stand for life, etc. And you put your money into it and you wonder why things aren't working. Paul said, the things that you've heard and seen and learned in me, you're gonna have to do it. You're going to have to get to a place to where eventually you start doing what the Word says. Amen. The Word says, the same Bible that says that by the stripes of Jesus your heels says, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, shall man give into your bosom. You're going to have to get to where you quit saying you're trusting God and you have to trust God in your finances. You have to give, you have to do something. You need to get to where you are acting on all of the truth that you know. If you know something and you aren't doing it, that lets deception in. Matter of fact, turn over here to, it's either 1st or 2nd Thessalonians. Let me share this verse with you. Um, anyway, I may have to quote this and have Ryan find it. But anyway, it says that because they didn't receive of love of the truth, therefore God gave them strong delusion that they might believe a lie. Where is that? It's in one of these Thessalonians. Which first or second? Second Thessalonians 2.13. Or excuse me, it's before that. In verse, uh, let's go to verse 10. It's talking about the Antichrist and all of these things that are coming. Let's go back to verse 10. It says, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie that they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. You know, I don't think I've got the full revelation on this, but I think that this applies to us today. People are not receiving the truth. People are rejecting the word of God. They make fun of the word of God. They act like if you believe the Bible that you're a bigot and all of these things and they have rejected the love of the truth. And because of that, there is a strong delusion that's coming on people today. I mean, I look at some people and wonder how could they do the things that they do? How could people who say that they are Christians, man, I hesitate to say some of these things. I know you aren't going to, some of you aren't going to like these things. But how could people who claim to be Christians vote and do some of the things that they do when it is exactly opposite what scripture says? And the only reason that I can come up with is it says that because they didn't receive a love of the truth, God sent them a strong delusion that they might believe a lie. I mean, it's just like, are we listening to the same stuff? Are we in the same world? How can you do some of the things that you do? And it's just because most people don't let the Bible get in the way of what they believe. They don't act on the Word of God. Going back to Philippians, you're going to have to get to where you believe and do what the Word says. The Word of God is going to have to trump other things. I don't care how you were raised. I don't care what's gone on in your family for generations. What does the Word say? You know, one of our good friends over in England, matter of fact, he's on my board in the UK. And we were talking to him about the Labor Party versus the Conservative Party, I think it is in England. Is that right? And we were asking him why he always voted the way he did. And he says, well, my father did this and my grandfather, this is what they were. And I said, what does that have to do with you? And he had never thought about it. He says, you know, I've never thought about it. This is just the way we've always been raised. And this is the way that you vote. And this is the way you do things. i tell you what, if that's the way that you are, if you're just going with the flow, I'm here to tell you that the flow is headed to hell. It's right. Their broad gate leads to destruction. The broad gate leads to depression and discouragement and sickness and disease and poverty. If you are going to experience God's best, you're going to have to start going against the flow. A dead fish can float downstream. It takes some effort to turn and go upstream. You're going to have to do something. You're going to have to make some decisions and you're going to have to start deciding what does the word say? And if the word says it, then do it. And it doesn't matter if it violates the way you were brought up, what's happened for years or generations, or whether you're the only person in your circle of friends. You just need to get to where you do what the Word says. I just do not understand people that claim to be Christians and do and vote and live contrary to what God's Word says. I just, it doesn't compute. I don't even want to figure it out. I don't want to go there. But the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. You're going to have to get to where your heart and your actions line up with each other. And if they don't do that, you're confusing your own heart. You're tormenting yourself. You're vexing yourself when you act contrary to the things that you hold true. And then the last thing down here in verse uh, 11, let's just read verse 10 also. It says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. And Paul here is talking about finances. The Philippians, he goes on to say right here in this chapter, I'm not sure I'll have time tonight to get into all of this, but I'll just quote it and you can read it. But he told the Philippians that they were the only people that ever gave to him after Paul left the area. There were some churches where he ministered in established churches and people would help him financially while he was there. But once out of sight, out of mind, people quit giving to him. But the Philippians were different than any other group. They sent money after Paul and he said that they, they did it twice and they would have done it even more, but they lacked opportunity. In those days, they didn't have emails. They didn't have cell phones. It was hard for them to stay in touch with where Paul was. Paul was on, in transit to Rome for a whole year and was shipwrecked on an island and they didn't know where he was. But as soon as they found out about him, their care for him flourished again and they sent and they were supporting him. They sent him a coat. They sent him some scriptures to study. They took care of his needs. These people were partners With Paul, and that's what he's talking about. And then in verse 11, he says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. And he says, The reason I'm so excited about you giving to me isn't because of how it benefited me personally. I'm excited because I see your care for me, I see your love for me. That's what blessed the Apostle Paul, was the way that these people had given. He says, I'm not speaking out of want because You know, now I've got a coat and I'm warm. That's not what blessed me. He says, because I've learned in whatever state I'm in, they're in to be content. And you know, this is the 20th thing here that I've said in these meetings that Paul learned to be content. You have to learn to be contentment. Contentment is not a state of being. It's a state of mind. That's a big statement right there. Contentment. Doesn't come because of the things that you have or because of the way other people are treating you. Contentment is a choice, it's something you learn. You know, you had to learn to write. You don't learn to read and write all at one time, it's a process. You know, our granddaughter, she, Jamie is a reader and she always told Renan about, man, you're going to go to school and you're going to learn to read. And Renan was so excited. And we built this up that when you start school, you're going to learn to read. So the very first day of kindergarten, Jamie went to pick Renan up and picked her up and was asking her how, how school was. And she says, well, it was good, but you could tell that there was some disappointment And she says, what's wrong? And she says, grandmama, I still can't read. (laughs) First day of school, she still couldn't read. And Jamie had to explain, you will, it just takes time. And I mean, within two months, she was reading anything you could throw at her. It took a period of time, but see, it's this way. You have to learn contentment. It's not just something that comes on you. The average person thinks that if everything that was in my life was perfect, if I had all of the money that I needed, if everybody around me was treating me right, if everything in my life was right, then I'd be content. That is not true. Look at some of these movie stars that have millions of dollars and they have these palatial homes and they have the admiration of all of these people and they're on the magazines. And in the natural, they've got everything that the world can throw at them and they're miserable people. They can't maintain a relationship. They go out and steal stuff when there's no reason. They've got millions of dollars and yet they just can't help themselves. They go out and steal. They go out and get drunk. They abuse drugs and all of this stuff. Contentment doesn't come from things. Contentment is something you just learn. The average person sitting in this room tonight has much more than your parents ever had. Certainly much more than your grandparents ever had. And yet your grandparents were more content on a whole than you are. You've got all of these things. We've got all these modern conveniences, microwaves and things that make our life so much easier and all of this stuff. And yet we aren't as happy as people who had much less. Contentment doesn't come from all of these things. Somebody thinks, well, if I had a different wife or a different husband, then I'd be content." You know, I remember a man one time that was from, uh, I forgot what nation, but it was one of these nations where they arrange your marriage and they, ha- they have dowries and the parents choose your mate and you just marry the ones that they tell you to marry. And they were talking to them and said, how does this work? How do you love a person that you've never had you know, a romance with and you're, just, you're forced to marry him?" And his answer was, he says, in my country, he says, we love the person we marry in your country. You marry the person you love. There was a lot of wisdom in that. They just choose to love a person. You don't have to have these bells and whistles go off and fall in love. You know what? If you fall in love like that, you can fall out of love. But when you choose to love a person, You can choose to love a person. You can choose to be content with that person. But one of the things, see, that hinders this, we watch all these movies and stuff and it presents this false romantic love, this Hollywood impression of love that you just fall in love and fall out of it. We see people that are happily married and things are going good and then somebody walks across their path and just boom, there's this chemistry and they don't want it. They resist it. They try and resist, but they can't. They just have to go for them and ruin their family and hurt their kids and everything. And you see stuff like that and that plants a seed in you. That's just nothing but perversion. God's kind of love is something you choose. It doesn't come on you like a seizure. You don't just catch it. (laughs) You choose to love a person. And yet most of us have got this Hollywood impression of love and it messes things up. You know what? You have to learn to be content with the person you're married to. You need to learn to be content with the things that you have. I'm not saying that you have to be, you have to stay there. God wants to prosper you and increase you so that you can be even a bigger blessing. But you know what? Let me just put it to you. How many bathrooms do you have to have to take care of your business, amen? (laughs) How many beds do you have to have in your home to sleep at night? How big does your house have to be? There are many of you that your bathroom is bigger than people's houses. You know, this is one reason that we make our students go on a, foreign missions trip. We send them to a third world country because you need to get your um, priorities or your standards adjusted. America is abnormal. We have abnormal prosperity. Most of the world doesn't know what we have. And I tell you, when you go over, to, like I was telling you, I went to Uganda and you go into a hut that's seven foot in diameter and three and a half foot tall, and you see one coat hanging there, 10 people sleep in that hut on a, on a, um, cow skin. They just put it on the ground and 10 people sleep there. You know what? All of a sudden you come back and realize you didn't have it so bad after all. And yet there are some of you that you aren't content with a twenty or $30,000 car. You want a $60,000 car, $90,000 car. You want more. And I'm not saying that you can't have it. God is not cheap. He doesn't mind you having things. That's not it. But what does it take for you to be content? Most people are under the mistaken impression that I've got to have all of these things happening before I can be content. I tell you, you can be content with a lot less. You can learn contentment. Paul, one of the reasons that he could praise God in prison with his feet and hand in the stock because he had learned how to be content in whatever state he's in. Colorado, Texas, doesn't matter. He was content in whatever state he was in. You can be content. You can learn to be content. You can become satisfied with things. I tell you, that is big. If you are going to truly experience happiness, you're going to have to quit looking for external things to make you happy and learn that contentment is something that you choose. You know, it's like my kids. We live on 26 and a half acres. We moved out there. It's just an awesome place. I got this huge rock on my property that's taller than this ceiling. And, uh, you know, for a kid, it just would be perfect. Man, all of this, we got deer and elk and every kind of varmint, mountain lions and bear and everything out there. And it just is a great place. And yet my kids, when they were uh, you 12, 13 years old, they'd come in and say, I'm bored. And man, I, I mean, the spirit of slap just wanted to come all over me. Like you got 26 and a half acres. It's beautiful. We got caves on our place. We got all of this stuff. Man, I'd tell them often, I'd say, boredom is a state of mind, not a state of being. You can't be bored unless you are thinking wrong. And you know what? You can't be dissatisfied unless it starts in your mind. First of all, if you would just evaluate or elevate your relationship with God and praise God for how good he is. And thank Him for all of the things that He's done for you. You shouldn't ever be discontent. Amen. Even if you're living under a bridge. You know what? You've got a mansion in heaven being prepared for you. And if, if you never saw improvement in this life, you could say someday I'm going to be living in a mansion and praise God. You could just learn to be content because this is only temporary. Amen. You know, I've stayed in some bad, bad places. I've stayed in some places that I don't ever want to stay again. But one of the reasons I could do it is because I know it's just temporary. This is not where I live. It's just temporary. This whole life down here, we're just strangers and pilgrims. I believe God wants to prosper you and there's nothing wrong with you wanting to see success. But you know what? If you aren't where you need to be, you can still be content because you're just passing through. It's just temporary. It's just for a short period of time. I believe God wants you to be well, but if you aren't well, man, someday you're going to be perfect and there's going to be no problems. Everything's going to be perfect. There'll be no sickness, no more sorrow, no more crying. You should be content. You ought to be able to just praise God and thank God things are as good as they are. Amen. 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 Contentment is something you have to learn. You have to teach yourself. It doesn't come naturally. If you don't go to some effort, you will not read and write. It doesn't come naturally. You have to teach yourself. You have to learn. It's precept upon precept, line upon line. There are things that you need to do. And I'm telling you, you can choose to be content. You can choose to start focusing on the things that are honest and pure and lovely and focus on those. You could choose to take everything to God in prayer and cast all of your cares over on him and not let care dominate you, but instead just live in peace. Don't do anything that takes away your peace. You can start doing these things, but it's a process. You have to learn it. But I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, these are the things that Paul did and he revealed them in this letter that if we would just start doing these things and live this way, it would transform your life. There is not an excuse for a defeated Christian. There are reasons for it, but there isn't an excuse. God has given us everything that it takes to be above only and not beneath. That's Deuteronomy chapter 28, above only. In the Hebrew, that means only. It means above only. I'm not saying that you never have a problem, but you should never be under the circumstances. Anybody ever asked how you're doing and you say not too bad under the circumstances. You're not supposed to be under there. You're supposed to be above only and not beneath. Problems come my way, but I don't give in to them. And I can truthfully say I'm on top of things today. I've had a lot of stuff come against me and yet I'm above only and not beneath. It's working. You can choose this. There's no reason that you have to live a defeated life. And it starts with you changing the way you think, you adopting these things. You know, I'd encourage you to get the CDs from this meeting. Even though this has been really simple, there's not been anything brand new that I've probably said to any person in here. These are profound things that go against our culture today. And they're the reason that so many Christians are discouraged. You know, sometimes I'll teach on... Uh, praise or joy or something like that. And I'll give an invitation for people who are fighting depression and discouragement. And it is not unusual to have 80% of Christians stand and get prayer because they're fighting discouragement and depression. That is a shame. That should not be. And it's because people are not going by what the word says. They're letting their emotions dominate them. They're listening to all of this junk. They've adopted the mindset of the world. I'm telling you, you do not have to be that way. You can rejoice in the Lord always. You can be above only and not beneath, but it starts with you making some decisions. And you're going to have to just commit yourself and do what the Word says and exalt it and it'll work. Amen? Man, that's good news. And if we would go out and do this, you know what? You would stand out like a healed thumb in this sick world that we live in. People would come and say, why aren't you discouraged over things going on in politics? Why aren't you discouraged over the recession? Why aren't you discouraged when everybody else is getting the flu? How come you never get sick? How come you're prospering when everybody else has been laid off? And I know you've been laid off and yet you still got your needs met. You know what, if you were doing these things and living this, I guarantee you, you would become a witness for the Lord that you would have to backslide on God to keep from answering those questions and tell people about why things are so good. Christians ought to be living a victorious life. There isn't an excuse for us being defeated the way that the average person is. There are reasons. I've given you 20 of them right here, but there is no excuse. I encourage you to take these things and act on it. And if you'll do that, it'll change your life. Amen. 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 Thank you, Jesus. So father, we thank you for these truths. Thank you for the apostle Paul and the work that you did in his life. And thank you for inspiring him to write these things down. Thank you, Father, for the thousands and thousands of people that are instrumental in preserving these words so that we could study it and that we could receive benefit. And thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit which will take these words and make them come alive and apply them to our life. Father, I just believe that the Holy Spirit is taking the things that we've said this week and that you're applying them to people's lives, showing us areas of our life where you want us to change. You want us to think differently and act differently. And we receive this. We humble ourselves and receive these words. And Father, we want to do them. And I believe that you'll bring this back to people's remembrance. And as they act on this, I believe that there's going to be a difference. I believe people are not going to sit around and gripe and complain about the way things are, but instead they will take advantage of all that you've made available to us through Jesus. So Father, I thank you, and I just speak these things and believe that you are changing lives with the truths of the Word of God. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, this is our last opportunity this weekend to ask if there's anybody here that doesn't know Jesus or if there's anybody here that doesn't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. Every single person here must receive those two things. You don't have to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit to go to heaven, but you have to have it to be successful and to succeed in this life. I really believe that. You know, the number one thing happened to me when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it wasn't speaking in tongues. I didn't speak in tongues immediately because I was a Baptist and I was taught that that was of the devil and I didn't speak in tongues right away, but I got filled with the Spirit But the number one thing that happened is that the word of God came alive to me. I mean, I couldn't open the Bible without God just yelling at me. It was like every verse came alive. The Holy Spirit is the one that inspired man to read the Bible, write the Bible. And when you receive the Holy Spirit, one of the major things he does is take the things that belong to Jesus and reveal them unto you, lead you into all truth and show you these things. And I promise you with the Holy Spirit is just absolutely essential for you having the mindset that we've been talking about this weekend. If you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you need this. You know, I meant to bring in uh, Isaiah chapter 28 and that verse talks about speaking in tongues and says, this is the rest. I believe it's Isaiah chapter 28, 11 or 12. This is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing. When we're talking about peace and casting things over on the Lord and praying, you need to have this ability to pray in tongues because it refreshes you. If you're stressed out, all you got to do is pray in tongues. If you're driving in this traffic and you get get stressed out, all you got to do is just start praying in tongues and this is the rest and this is the refreshing. I tell you, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is absolutely essential. Is there anybody here tonight who would say, I need either to be born again and or I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit in this gift of speaking in tongues. Is there anybody who would raise your hand and say, I need that. Would you pray with me and help me to receive? Here's some back here. Anybody else? We've already had how many? Probably, how many? 75 people have already come and received, but praise God, we don't want to miss an opportunity to have others. You know, I know some of you in here don't speak in tongues, but you you didn't raise your hand. You're saying, well, we don't believe that in my church. That's the reason I'm not in your church. But it's the truth. You need it. Some of you are wondering, what are you going to do to me? I'm going to give you a free book. I'm going to pray for you and bless you. I had not got anything for you to join. There's no re- I'm not trying to get anything from you. I'm trying to give to you and help you. Somebody's thinking, well, I've already prayed for that and I didn't speak in tongues. What's the use? What happens if I go down there and nothing happens? I can guarantee you if you don't come down here, nothing's going to happen. You know what? There's no reason. If you don't speak in tongues, you ought to be up here. Somebody says, but man, I might get something from the devil. You know, the Bible says, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them? If a father, you know, how many fathers, if a child asked for a piece of bread, they'd give you a stone. If you ask for a fish, they'll give you a serpent. If you ask for an egg, they'll give you a scorpion. We treat our children better than that. God says, if you being evil, treat your children better than that. How much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? You do not have to be afraid of something bad happening. God only has good gifts for you. If you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand and were too chicken to do it, would you just get up out of your seat, come down here, and we want to pray with you and help you to receive salvation and or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Just come forward right now and let me pray with you. Awesome. Praise God. Isn't this awesome? God bless you, brother. Amen. God bless you. Awesome. I believe you're never going to be the same. You'll be stronger than horseradish. Amen. God bless you. Amen. Are all of you born again? Are you born again? Yes. Are you sure? You got to be sure. There's so many people today that think that because they're a good person and they believe that there's a God, that that's enough. But the Bible says in James 2, 19, you believe that there's one God, you do well. The devils also believe and tremble. But won't you know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead. You got to do more than just believe that there's a God. You've got to commit your life to him. You got to turn your life over to him. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, that if you will confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus... And believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. You have to make Jesus your Lord. That doesn't mean you'll never make a mistake because you can't live that way. We all make mistakes. But you have to be willing to make him the Lord of your life. Has everybody done that? This is a question. You can shake your head yes or no. Have you done that, brother? Awesome. Well, good. I'm not trying to talk you out of it. I just wanted to make sure. And so the Bible says that once you're born again... Then you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that means this is what God created you for. God wants to give you the Holy Spirit. He created your spirit person to be a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. So you don't have to beg God or wonder, will He do it? He wants you to have the Holy Spirit more than you want to have Him. So all you got to do is just invite Him in. He's a gentleman, He will not force Himself upon you. You can live your entire life without God controlling your life, but He wants to do it. He wants to give you this power. So all we're going to do is just pray a simple prayer and open up your heart, the doors of your heart, and welcome Him into your temple. And when you do that, I guarantee you, you open that door just a crack and God's going to come in full force and the power of God's going to come in. Jesus said you'd receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And that's what's going to happen to you. I believe you're going to see power come in your life that you haven't experienced before. And then I'm going to ask our prayer ministers to come up here and stand behind you because the Bible says that through the laying on of hands, the Holy Spirit was given. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer and we're going to open up our heart and welcome the Holy Spirit to come in. But then these people are filled with the Holy Spirit and they're going to lay hands on you and release this power of the Holy Spirit into your life. And then after they lay hands on you, after I've led you in prayer and after they lay hands on you, I want you to take a step of faith and believe that God did what he promised he'd do. He said he'd give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. So after we lay hands on you, I want you to quit asking. There's a time to ask, but then there's a time to believe. And after we lay hands on you, I want you to begin to start thanking God out loud that he gave you the Holy Spirit just like he promised you. would. I don't care how you feel, When I received the Holy Spirit, I didn't feel anything, but I got the power of the Holy Spirit. Some people have a great emotional experience. If you do, that's fine. But it doesn't matter. You aren't asking for a feeling. You're asking for a person of the Holy Spirit. So after we lay hands on you, I want you to start thanking God like you believe that the word is true and he kept his promise. And I want you to thank him that you do have the Holy Spirit. And then after that, and when they lay hands on you, I want you to lift your hands. Because when you lift your hands, the Bible says that it gives, uh, it blesses the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. This blesses God. It's like you just giving up, saying, God, I yield. It's like when somebody sticks a gun in your back and you go, I yield. I surrender. This is your way of yielding. So I'm going to lead you in prayer. They're going to lay hands on you. You're going to start thanking God that he gave you the Holy Spirit. We're going to lift our hands and thank him. And then those of us that pray in tongues are going to start praying in tongues. Because the Bible says that when you pray in tongues, you're giving thanks well. You're praising God in a heavenly language. So we're going to start praying and praising God in this gift of tongues that we have. And when we start praying in tongues, I want you to quit praying in English and just go to thanking God in tongues. Amen? It's real simple. Some of you may think, how do you pray in tongues? What do you do? Well, I've got a book I'm going to give all of you. It'll explain this. But let me just give you one word of explanation. Most people wait on the Holy Spirit to force them to speak in tongues. That's not how it works. It's very similar to when I preached tonight. I believe that God spoke through me. I believe he inspired it, but he didn't force me to talk. If I would have just opened my mouth and said, Oh God, speak through me and let it be pure Holy spirit. And then wait on God to make my mouth move. Nothing would have ever been said. I spoke, I, I taught. That's the reason it came out in my personality and my sense of humor and stuff. It was me talking That God inspired it. That's the way speaking in tongues is. Acts 2 4 says, They spoke with tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. So you do the talking, but the Holy Spirit inspires it. And anyway, there's a lot more to it, but if you're ready, you can pray in tongues right now. Isn't that good? The Bible says, Believers will speak with tongues. I want you to say, I'm a believer. And I will speak in tongues. Father, I thank you for all of these. Thank you that all of them have already been born again. So we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You created us to fill with your Holy Spirit. And Father, now we welcome the Holy Spirit to come into our lives. We want this power. We want the quickening power of the Holy Spirit. We want this gift of speaking in tongues. We welcome you in all of your gifts and all of your ability. We open up our heart and say, Holy Spirit, come dwell on the inside of us. We receive you now in Jesus' name. Now we lay hands on you and release this Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, we just speak, come upon them, come in them. Come fill every one of them right now with your power. Father, we receive these gifts of speaking in tongues right now. We thank you for it, and we believe that we receive. Now, I'd like you to put your hands up and go to thanking God that he gave you the Holy Spirit, because he promised that he would. Thank him for it. Thank you, Father, that I am filled with the Holy Spirit, that your word is true. And from this moment on, I'm going to be supernaturally led by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. We receive this. Now, those of you know how to pray in tongues, let's pray in tongues. And as we speak in tongues, I want you to quit speaking in English. Quit thanking him in English and go to speaking in tongues. If you don't know what to say, you can try and say what you hear the person behind you saying. But their tongue will be different than your tongue. Your tongue will be unique to you. You can't say the same things. It'll come out different. But once you start trying to talk and it comes out different, just keep talking. Just keep speaking. Don't worry about what it sounds like. I've actually heard languages that are just clicks of the tongue. One language is whistles. And it's a known language. It doesn't matter what it sounds like. You're speaking from your heart and not from your head. Thank you, Jesus. You can't speak in English and tongues at the same time. You're going to have to start speaking in tongues. You can't talk in tongues with your mouth closed. You're going to have to quit speaking in English. Let's talk in tongues. That's it. Man, many of these are speaking in tongues. This is the power of the Holy Spirit flowing right here. Just be bold. Talk out right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You speaking in tongues? Amen. Isn't that awesome? Thank you, Father. Father, we praise you. Let me have your attention here for just a minute. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but if I could have your attention, it's important that you understand what happened to you. You know, some of you may have just really felt the presence of God. That's great. But when I first did this, I didn't feel a thing. And I just had to take it by faith. And it took me a while to get to where I was really receiving full benefit of this because I had so much wrong stuff taught me about this. I had so many wrong fears and beliefs. And so whether you spoke in tongues or not, I, got, I believe God gave you the Holy Spirit because He promised that He would. But you need to go ahead and speak in tongues to get the full benefit of it. And you need to understand what's happened to you because it's more important than any of you understand. And unless you understand this, you won't get the full benefit of it. So I've written everything I know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues in a little book. And I want to give this book to every one of you. And I encourage you to study it. And if you didn't speak in tongues, you can read this book. It'll tell you all of the problems and all the wrong thinking I had that hindered me. It'll help you. And we've had thousands and thousands of people go ahead and speak in tongues after reading this book. So I'd like to give every one of you this book. We've got Robert standing right here with his Bible up. And he's going to take you and give you a copy of this book. It'll only take a moment. We just want to help you. There's people that will answer your prayers if you've got questions or whatever. They'll help you. So if you would just follow Robert right here, and he will take you and give you that book. And I believe that you're never going to be the same again. Amen. You receive that? Oh man, I was a Baptist. Baptists make great spirit-filled people. Awesome, awesome. Praise the Lord. Isn't that great? So I don't know, that's at least 90-something, maybe closer to 100 people this week. You know, there was only 120 people on the day of Pentecost that received the Holy Spirit in the upper room, and then that spilled over to 3,000 people, and here we are nearly 2,000 years later, and we are seeing awesome, awesome things happen. So praise God. I believe this could make a big difference, certainly in their lives and in other people's lives as they get ministered to. These are our prayer ministers right here. And if any of you need prayer for anything, this is the way we're going to minister to you. Some people see me on television and they want me to pray for them. It's just inefficient. I can't pray for every person. I don't need to pray for every person. These are people that are full of the Holy Spirit. Every one of them has been through a training. They are well capable. You know, I read out some of these testimonies. We've seen, uh, I forgot what they were now. Where's Carly? What did we see happen? We've seen deaf ears open. Vision has been healed. Cancer's been healed. backs have been healed. Everything. So amen. These people are well able to minister to you. So if you need prayer, just come out of your seat right now and let someone pray with you. If you need prayer, I want you to come forward. We've got people standing at the aisles and they're going to direct you towards a prayer minister. And if you'll cooperate with them, that'll uh, speed this up and enable us to minister to you better the rest of you don't forget that we have all of these services these five services are already duplicated out there on dvd or cd and this is the kind of thing that you need to go over and over we covered a lot of territory and i think it'd really benefit you to get this plus it'd be good to share with somebody else we have a lot of other material out there we've got the ambassadors to the nations out there if you wanted to partner with uh, and Karen Jolly and help them with the children in Nicaragua they've got a place out there but thank you for coming God bless you I'm going to let people go tonight and uh, we're going to get out of here relatively quickly because my crew starts tearing all this down and they'll work until 12 or probably 1 o'clock tonight so we're going to let you go but if you need prayer come and let one of our prayer ministers agree with you And we're going to believe God for a miracle. Thanks for coming. You're dismissed. God bless you.